Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Awards Blend, which is a podcast that breaks down every step of the ongoing awards race. My name is Sean O'Connell, and I'm the managing director for Cinema Blend, and Awards Blend is part of a growing network of podcasts dedicated to all things entertainment that we're trying to get up off the ground here. So with that in mind, actually, please subscribe to Cord Cutters, which is a podcast that we have um, about streaming services that has been up and running and has several back episodes that you can get into. But for Awards Blend, we are in episode two, and I'm always happy to be joined on this podcast by two of my very favorite colleagues, starting with Mr. Kevin McCarthy, who is the entertainment reporter for Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. Kevin, say hello. Hey, Sean. How you doing? Good, uh, good afternoon to you. Thanks for having me on. Of I love course. you guys very much. And also, as you can see on this live podcast, we have Jake Hamilton, entertainment reporter for Fox 32 News in Chicago. Jake, hello. What's up, guys? I'm fairly indifferent about you. I like that Jake is a company man promoting his network as he sips his What are you, tea. What are you talking right. about? Hey, I'm, and, and, you know, and you know what's in here? Kool-Aid. I'm nice. drinking the Kool-Aid. Drinking the Fox Kool-Aid. <laughs> um, so this is a second episode that we have for Awards Blend. In the first one, we kind of did an introduction and we talked about who we are and uh, how long we've known each other and what we want to get through. And this is going to be an evolving podcast where we're going to track um, all the different major steps of the awards race, building towards the Academy Awards, which is kind of the Mac Daddy, but we'll be pit stopping on Critics' Choice and Screen Actors Guilds and and directors guilds and all these other major things as we get through that point but we're trying to circle the wagons on the different films that are going to be in the running and later today um, in the episode we are going to get to our top five of the year where we talk in depth about the movies that um that we chose and we had a little test yesterday where we um, talked in depth about our six pick which i thought was really great um because the movie that didn't make the cut but we're going to get into all that in a minute um before we get started there is a huge movie that's in theaters right now that's generating um, a lot of conversation, first very positive, then a little bit mixed, then very negative, then back to mixed, and then somewhat very positive, and the backlash is now has backlash on top of its backlash. Um, Star Wars <laughs> The Last Jedi. Uh, guys, at this moment now, at 5.07 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, where do you stand on Star Wars The Last Jedi? It's my favorite Star Wars movie to come out this year. Hey, well, I guess that's saying something. Uh, it took me a second there. It took me a yeah. second to understand that I've been up since 4 a.m., but now I, now I get what you're saying. Sorry. Um, I, you know, it's 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 a Star Wars movie that I have issues with. And, and you know what's so funny is that I feel like I was so much more forgiving when the prequels came out because it was under the umbrella of, oh, boy, they're the prequels, so this is, this is what we've got. And I think now we're so spoiled with uh, getting them every year and then the last two years having them be pretty good quality so that, I mean, this is a this is a Star Wars movie that 10 or 15 years ago we would have died, we would have killed for. And, uh, and now I feel a little bit guilty sort of picking it apart the way I have. But I'd be lying if I said I didn't have some fairly major issues with it that have kept me from truly loving it and not just sort of liking it. Yeah, I... Uh... How many times have you guys sorry. seen it? Kevin, how many times have you seen it? I've seen it twice. Twice? One time. Once. I've seen it once. Um, when I left it, I wasn't compelled to see it a second time. But as, mm -hmm. as I'm reading more of the columns, I'm feeling compelled to sort of go back and revisit it. Do you guys see, feel that way? I, I, I have seen it a second time, but I didn't quite. Though, though to be fair, I saw it twice within uh, a two-day period. Right. So maybe I need to let it sort of soak in a little bit before seeing it. So I might end up seeing it one more time because uh, uh, the family hasn't seen it yet. I uh, I had a lot of problems with this film, and I'm actually the more I've 
thought about it over the past two, uh, week or so. I've liked it less and less. Uh, in my opinion, this film is it's very pretentious towards the fans. And I, I, I mean that by... I felt like Ryan Johnson was looking into the audience knowing what we were expecting to see and then laughing at us and like and there's a lot of scenes in this film that in my opinion would be the SNL version of what the scene would have been oh, wow. and wow. and here's what I mean by that so it, when when we <laughs> at the end of the force awakens and again I'll, for the record I liked the last jedi I just oh, didn't love it let me see too that we're going to be talking about spoilers like I want to just put that out there for people who are yeah. listening live. If you just tuned in, if you're downloading the podcast later, we're gonna to have to get into specifics. So if you haven't yet seen the Last Jedi, um, and you want to keep listening, maybe um, maybe punch Back out, <laughs> come back. And I, it. Yeah. I will so, say, ahead, Kevin, um, I'm sorry. On my front, I'm not going to give any spoilers away. Um, the only spoiler that I may refer to is, is something that maybe happened within the first five to seven minutes of the movie. It's not really a spoiler, I'm, I, but this is kind of part of my review, and I'm. Happy to talk about this finally. Um, at the end of the last uh, Force Awakens, there there was that gigantic cliffhanger. No pun intended, because they were literally on a cliff um, with Ray and Luke, and she's handing him the saber, and and uh, JJ cuts the film there, and then boom, then Ryan picks it back up. Even though the beginning of Last Jedi isn't necessarily right there, it's in space first, then comes down. Um, the moment is supposed to be a gigantic moment. It's an emotional moment. It's a moment we've been waiting two years to see. Um, and listen, I'm all for things going differently. Uh, if it fits into the mold of what that moment should have been, the weight of that moment. Um, and to me, SNL would have done what Ryan Johnson did in this, in the film, having Luke toss the saber over his shoulder uh, was first of all, it wasn't funny. Second of all, it was it was a mockery of the fans, and I felt like everything in this movie is a gigantic misdirect. And even the trailers were the same way. And I think it became a film that really kind of toyed with people uh, in a sense where the movie was laughing at the audience, not with the audience. Um, it was so very again, self aware. You're right. I agree. It, it was self-aware in terms of what it, it knew what it, we wanted, and that's a problem. A movie is a movie is never supposed to make you feel like you're watching a movie. You should never know unless it's like Deadpool, where he's breaking the wall, or whatever. You should never know that the characters know you're sitting in a theater. And I, I don't think that necessarily Luke knew we were sitting in a theater. Clearly, but my thought process on that being that. Every one of these moments was a complete misdirect. And I don't want to give too much away, but there's a great buildup with Ray and Kylo in the film that I felt was genuinely a conflict of light and dark between what Kylo was going through. And then the misdirect that happens later on after a gigantic fight scene, to me, felt unfair. It was an unfair change again. So, I don't know. I, I But listen, I gotta I say... Like, I gotta say, I, I don't think Ryan Johnson went into this with the intent of, I want to anger the fans. Like, mm. that's what, when, when I'm trying to no. contemplate what I missed the first time through, I'm really now trying to sit in his shoes and think, because um, I, I truly do think that he's a fan. And I truly do think, like, stepping back and looking at it from a big picture perspective, I think he made a Star Wars movie that he thinks is important right now. And so and in a sure. minute, I want to talk about where we think the franchise is going to go from here. But um, do you think maybe did he just miscalculate how offended um, a, a segment of the fan base is going to be by taking yeah. these conversations that that, you know, who were raised parents like 
uh, how important is Snoke? Like these are things that that really just get dismissed and and intentionally. The point of the movie seems to be all these things yeah. that you thought were important aren't important or not. Yeah, right. right. And so I, did he, I guess I maybe just, he just thought a majority of fans would go along with that. I don't think Ryan Johnson purposely set out to upset people. I just think that there was such a uh, such a, 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 a need to know these things, a need to know what was going to happen at the end of 7 into 8, who Ray's parents were. All these things were important things that people were relying on for answers. <coughs> I'm not saying that every movie needs to have a solidified, bow-tied-up sure. thing. Right. But I just, and, and I do want to say for the record, I think this film is gorgeously shot. I think the action is incredible. It has one of my favorite Star Wars scenes of all time in it. Um, and I, which is what? I, I don't, I don't want to give it away. It's the, it's the Ray Kylo fight scene. Okay. Okay. Right. okay. I mean, but I mean, uh, we're talking spoilers. I, I yeah, think, no, I but I don't want to go too much. But, but I, <laughs> but I will say, like you know, and that being said, performances are incredible. Uh, mm. uh, Driver is amazing as Kylo. I love Daisy Ridley. I think that Ky- uh, Kelly Marie Tram is great. I love Laura Dern's arc. Oh, I did not like Rose. I thought that Dern had the best arc in the film. Her arc was amazing. And I think that, like, and, and we, we can get into the Rose aspect of it because Rose is actually featured in my, the worst scene in the whole film. Not because of her, but because of the digital effects used right. in this terrible green screen where they're riding this horse yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, but, oh, that's... But I, 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 which, why, like, they could have been Tauntauns. Or yeah. they could have been, like... Or they could have used a Yoda puppet instead of yet yeah. another CGI Yoda, which to, I don't or just they understand. they could have cut choices. that scene out. I agree. I don't think that scene was all that great. I that it was, scene reminded me of the prequels. It was yes. written poorly. That scene yeah. wasn't. And, and, and Ryan Johnson's a great director. I mean, you, Luke and a great writer. Rick, he's a great writer. Yeah. I just yeah. don't. Some really of the best know Breaking what, Bad episodes ever. Yes. Ozzy Mendez and, and, and is amazing. I just don't know what happened here and and, and honestly it's upsetting to me it uh, is it's I, puzzling it, it's, it's it, and and it's funny because i again my review of the film was a 3.5 out of 5 which is essentially a b minus c plus but as i've thought about it more i'm leaning more back down to a three almost yeah. so it's really yeah. not that great it, it, it sort of makes episode seven inconsequential which is a bummer because i love episode seven me too but essentially it's saying hey all of those questions raised they don't matter, and and now the, the the bigger question that I'm hearing Star Wars fans ask, which is like, well, like, why you're you're not a true fan for caring that much? I'm like, no, no, I'm not, because those questions that Episode Seven told me to care about those answers. It's not right. like it's not like I've spent the last two years just coming up with random hypothetical right. situations because I picked out super minute details. Episode Seven gave me a platter that yeah. said, here are the questions you should be asking. And then when episode eight comes out, it says, you're stupid for asking them. So I, yeah. you know, and it, it was really frustrating to kind of feel like J.J. Abrams and Ryan Johnson never had a meeting where they sat down yeah. and discussed, this is what we're going to do. And then I, then it just sort of makes me feel like, well, then what's the point of it? If, if they don't have, which really surprised me that, that they're just now hearing, because I read an article that said this past Friday, J.J. Abrams went and presented what his episode nine story was going to be. And in my head, I thought, why are they just now hearing what episode nine is going to be? Why, why wasn't that figured out before they even shot a, a, a frame of film? I agree. They should have had this figured out. I just well, don't what, understand. So, like, I, I just felt like Ryan kept looking into the camera and, and just laughing at us. Like you see like, what I did there? Like, you see what I did there? Well, yeah. okay, but wait, let me say, so let me say something. Yeah, so exa- we, exa- we exa- did get exactly. an opportunity yeah. to interview Ryan um, after the release. 
and you can read a lot of his quotes on our site. And he said, um, specifically with Snoke, he wrote his um, outcome for Snoke before Force Awakens came out and before all of so? the fan conversation became, who is he? What is he? And and in Ryan's mind, he'd already decided that Snoke wasn't important, that it was supposed to be about elevating Kylo and eliminating this this uh, mentor, you know, getting him out of the picture so that Kylo Ren could eventually elevate to become the villain of the piece. I understand that. What what I'm totally confused is that <laughs> they're handing the baton back to JJ now at this point. And I feel like he's got to be standing there like, what do I do? I set up these great yeah. plot lines and you just took a blowtorch to them all. And, you know, how, where do I start picking up the pieces? What pieces do I pick up? Do I pick up Princess Leia? General Leia, who I don't have Carrie Fisher anymore. Do yeah. I pick up the Kylo Ren uh, and Ray relationship? Because I feel like it played itself out in this movie. Yeah. And can I say is two- Luke just a Force ghost? Like, what's the yeah. story? I'm going to say two things. One, uh, I think at the at the end of Episode Seven, I could not wait for Episode Eight. At the end of Episode Eight, I I mean, listen, as a fan, I will go see it, but yes. I do not have an inherent, genuine want for nine now because it's a bummer because that's that's not just the end of this trilogy that is the end of a trilogy of trilogies i know we're like 40 years worth of story should be going into this movie and we're sitting here contemplating what is the movie going to be about like so we should know what the movie is going to be about so what can they say that would okay so that that's what i kind of want to get to because i i do think ultimately the point that ryan was trying to make in these interviews post-release is he's saying Guys, what I'm trying to say to you is that what you think Star Wars can be is totally different. Like, wipe away what your expectations are. Um, This truly can go any direction. Like, things we didn't know about the Force can now happen. Someone who has the Force can Force project themselves to another location. Someone who's Force-sensitive, like Leia, can essentially save themselves from a near-altering, like, life-altering situation. We can go anywhere we want. So he's kind of saying, I'm giving J.J. an even more exciting blank slate so he can do anything he wants. Do you guys buy that? I, I don't buy the way in which he went about doing it. Like, I, I, you know, obviously, I always always hated the phrase making it up as they go along. Like, of course they make it up as they go like, like, Star Wars does not exist. Of course they make it up as they go along. But but to just pull things out of nowhere. I mean, we have we have, at this point, seen decades worth of Jedi stories and never seen them do these things. There had to be a way to bring these certain powers into the story without them being monumental plot changers, right? And see them for the first time at the sounds at, at the same time. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, but can I can I say one thing? Do you guys think that Kylo uh, and again uh, the the reveal of Ray's parents? I I still think that's a misdirect. I I don't. I don't I gotta, believe Kylo. I actually, I, I dig that choice. I got to be honest. I like her parents being no one. And it, to me, it ties oh, in don't. with, it ties in with the kid at the very end, uh, force pulling the broom. This idea that the, almost the title of the movie is ironic because um, there is no last Jedi. Theoretically, right. anyone could do it. You do not have to be a well, Skywalker to and if, matter. If you go but that back kid's to, not a Jedi the, at the end. He's, a, he's Force sensitive, I think. Well, right, and that's why if Episode Seven is called The Force Awakens, you know, we all assumed it was in Ray, but it really could mean in everyone, yeah. right? In the galaxy yeah. as a whole, that everyone's kind of tapping right. into. Because yeah. we we can't be so naive to think that 
the story is going to be over at the end of episode nine. So I think I do think it is setting up this idea that Jedi have been around for a long and and that is to a certain degree what Yoda was talking with Luke about that hubris of uh, you know thinking that that everything just sort of sort of ends when you do and and that you know that that is a thing that I'm actually kind of I thought was kind of cool to bring in and you know the heroes later in life you know he passing on what you've learned and that whole so I I actually kind of like that final moment of like hey even when we're done with this story it's going to keep going and there will be other great jedis that are probably going to have stories that are worthy of multiple movies and we're getting them from ryan johnson i just thought about about ray's parents is that jj included a scene of a ship specifically flying away yes we are gonna we're gonna need some sort of explanation for that yeah you can't include something like that and then ignore it also also, that major scene when she finally touches Luke's saber for the first time, and she has that gigantic uh, nightmare-esque yeah. scene where you have Obi-Wan's voice, you have all this stuff going on, but then when yet when John Boyega picks up that, that saber, it doesn't happen for him. Something, that doesn't make any sense. Her parents have to be somebody. Right. They have to be. And also, they, uh, I, am I still, I still want to know how that lightsaber got there. The last time we saw that lightsaber, yeah. <laughs> it was falling in Cloud City. Right. And then they ask, was it Maz? Mm-hmm. And she goes, a story for another time. I'm, I'm ready for that time. <laughs> like, it's, it's time. Like, how, how did, where did that lightsaber come from? I just, I just don't get the, the criticisms of Force Awakens. And, and, and I remember, because I love Force Awakens. I think it's incredibly well done. And people can say all day long it's a, it's a, it's a New Hope remake. But they even, that's fine. But I, get, I think at the end of the day, we needed a great Star Wars movie. And I think uh, the prequels were so bad. And I've actually, over the years, Jake and I have had discussions about the prequels. And, uh, like, there's things in the prequels that I actually like. I mean, like, it's funny because, like, the Menace, that you go to Menace and you look at the Darth Maul fight. I even like the Duel of Fates. Duel of Fates is amazing. I actually think that the John Williams scores for the prequels are better than the John Williams scores for the new I agree. Dude, the Darth Maul fight with the ha, ha, Even Attack of the Clones has a great score. The music that plays in Revenge of the Sith, when when Anakin and Obi-Wan are fighting on Mustafar, that piece of music is fantastic. There's been no piece of music in any of the three new films that have been released that match any of the major John Williams pieces yeah. that, that came out in the prequels. I like Ray's theme. I, I think Ray's I like her theme good. a lot. Yeah. Uh, it's like a floating theme. I like that theme. But if I heard it somewhere, I'm not sure I could identify yeah. it. Yeah, as opposed to you hear Duel of Fates. Well, Duel yeah, of Fates, exactly. yeah. No, well, that's probably the most iconic <clears throat> song to come out of the prequels, no question. Yeah. So we will be talking about Star Wars, obviously, for weeks to come. And I want everybody, yeah. if you're listening here now or if you're listening later, go into the comments section. Give us what your star rating is. I'm at a three. Kevin was at a three and a half. He's Mikey down to a three. Jake, where did you end yeah. up? Uh, I'm probably, honestly, probably around a three, if I'm being That's completely right. honest. Can I just yeah. say one, one last note before we move on from Star Wars? Sure. I think it's, by no means do I think people that, that don't like the movie should be attacking those that do. And I think no. we all have to sort of like present our opinions in really respectful ways. That being said, I think it's incredibly condescending and dismissive to tell someone that they didn't like the movie because they're afraid of change. There are, I, I am totally okay with changing the direction Star Wars goes and accepting yeah. that it's not always going to be my Star Wars, but to dismiss my opinion about really bad forced humor, plot lines that ultimately go nowhere and don't matter, borderline bad prequel-like CGI, to dismiss those problems and put that in, the, just shove them into the ballpark of, oh, you're just afraid of change, uh, is really, really kind of bothers me. So I, I do think there's got to be both sides of, yeah, maybe we didn't like the movie and we'll be respectful of those that did, 
But those that did love the movie also have to be respectful of those that had problems with it and not just say, you'll have a problem with it for one reason and one reason only, because that's not the yeah. case. I agree I agree with you 100%, and I, and I find that the, the the social media aspect of this film has been, it's brutal to watch. I mean, I've never seen anything like it before, <laughs> um, and, I, and I feel like every one of us here is a Star Wars fan, and we, and we are assessing this film from a very fair standpoint of people who've watched these films all of our lives. And the film has glaring issues, uh, but it's that concept uh, that Jake just mentioned that I, I find so fascinating. But I just don't I just don't understand why they took Luke in that direction. I just don't get it. I don't I don't understand the grumpiness of him, the unnecessarily comedic quality of his character. It was just a very in my opinion, a poor way to take Luke. It was I felt like I saw more of Mark Hamill than I saw yeah. Luke in this movie. I know a lot of yeah. people are talking about his performance. I know many people that believe that he deserves a supporting actor nomination. And maybe just because Mark Hamill's been out more sort of in interviews and so he's sort of been out there more in the public a little bit lately, I felt like I saw more of Mark Hamill on that island than I did Luke Skywalker on that island. But Hamill's not a grumpy dude, though. He's like, yeah, he seems... but, but but like the, the humor and, and the way yeah. he said certain things, yeah. even inflections in his voice. Uh, yeah. Luke always had a very sort of calm, monotonous voice in a certain way, monotone voice. Um, I don't know. That's just my part. It, it, it was very no. I, listen, I understand. With you, I agree with you one hundred percent. And I and, and again, as Sean said, we'll continue to talk about this at another point. But it is a. It, it's to me, it's the most frustrating movie I've seen this year. It's just very frustrating yeah. as an audience member. And I remember walking out of it, going, "Did I miss something?" Like, yeah. I, like, like and Dude, I, and, and, I was Jay- at the premiere, man. Trust me, yeah. I, I was, I was, I was the one guy at the party whenever people were coming up to me, to me going, "Oh, didn't you, didn't you love it?" And I go. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a it's a Star yeah. Wars movie. Yeah, when I got out of the movie, I got a text from Jake, and I'm like, I'm about to tell Jake. And I, at first, I'm like, you know, again, you're wowed by that. There, to me, the ending of Rogue One is an exact example of why people walk out feeling the way they do. So at the end of Rogue One, and Rogue One, I I liked. I didn't love. I Rogue love One. Rogue One. I like Rogue One, but the Darth Vader hallway shot is one of the greatest Star Wars moments of all times. So when you leave that theater, you're on a high, right? And then you you know when you're at a theater watching Last Jedi, you, that Kylo Ray uh, moment hits, uh, the ending hits, which is not as strong as that Kylo scene, but there are moments that are so high that like you just almost forgive and forget the problems with the movie and i remember walking out like thinking to myself man i love that that kylo scene man that was amazing i, I love this and then jake and i just started talking and i'm like dude i don't understand why he threw the saber like yeah. me too i'm like oh my god someone else agrees yeah. with me on this i thought a, i was the a, only one yeah a good fight scene does not a good movie make i agree all right let's get to the movies that are opening this week and especially from the perspective of awards um we have three that i want to focus on and really you know, give quick reviews of them, but really talk about whether we should keep them in the conversation as we get through the awards season. Jake, I want to start with you because you're yeah. the one who was lucky enough to see Ridley Scott's All the Money in the World. And Correct. I think we're all totally fascinated to not only how Ridley pulled this off, but did Christopher Plummer, I'm already hearing that there's a possibility. Well, he got a Globe nomination. Yeah, so, got like, a Globe d- nomination. Did he do enough in this quick amount of time to get into the Oscar uh, Oscar conversation? Uh, I think he did. Uh, he was fantastic. He had moments uh, that we I saw in a packed theater last night. Uh, he was in the film a lot more than I expected him to be, uh, considering I kept hearing that you know they only shot with Spacey for like 10 days, and I thought, well, then he's only in the movie for a couple of scenes. He's in the movie quite a bit, actually. Um, 22 scenes. Yeah, yeah, especially in the first half. Um, 
he is fantastic. He is. Uh, it does seem easy for him just because he how good of an actor he is. Mm-hmm. But I also think that there is going to be a bit of giving him a little bit of extra credit on the test because he just finished. I mean, you could you could argue he just finished literally days ago right. playing this part. So I do think people might be more willing to write his name down because of the story that goes along with it. And that maybe they won't admit that, but deep down I think there is going to be an element. My, my problem with that is that if he is going to be, and I think he very well could be, a last-minute supporting actor nominee contender, who does that push out? And in my mind it pushes out the guy that had a background shot of getting nominated, who I most want to see get nominated, which is Patrick Stewart for Logan. So, right. so I, I worry that Plummer comes in, takes a, a, a supporting actor spot, and because of that, Patrick Stewart gets pushed out. Uh, I think Michelle Williams has a really good shot at, uh, at, at, a, at a Best Actress nomination. I think those are probably the two uh, best shots for the movie. Um, but considering where this movie was six weeks ago, I think that's pretty, pretty impressive. Um, not entirely sure Ridley comes into the conversation <laughs> for director. Right. Um, because, I mean, I mean I'm, not, I'm not trying to take away what he's done in the last six weeks because it's, it's nothing short of awe-inspiring. But outside of that, it's not quite the kind of movie that would have earned someone a best director. And I'm not entirely sure this particular situation uh, should launch him into a category along with four other people, right. you know, to, to, to be in the, in the conversation with a lot of like great contenders. Nolan. Yeah, there's great exactly. contenders this year. It's not like they're yeah. fishing for directors. Right, one exactly. thing, one thing Jake just said, which I find fascinating is generally speaking, um, when you hear about like behind the scenes stories, uh, and you watch a film, the, whatever happened behind the scenes really shouldn't affect that, that, uh, that final product. Sure, but, um, does, but I, though. but I yeah. will say, I've always kind of disagreed with that statement. Um, I think that just the little stories and the things that happen and the happy accidents that occur that make a scene so great, um, it adds such a interesting quality to it. I would I would argue that the the, the job of a director is he's a storyteller and keeping everything in line and keeping everything seemingly going. If you reshoot your leading character now, while he's in the, only in the film for twenty two scenes. Um, he's still the presence of his character. I, and again, I haven't seen the full film, um, but the presence of his character, Jake, I'm assuming is felt throughout the movie, right? Yeah. I'm assuming, yeah. yeah. Like, like almost like Hannibal Lecter in Silence of the Lambs. You had 16 minutes of screen time, but you feel his presence in every scene because he's the looming, uh, dramatic character. Um, mm-hmm. now again, I haven't seen, uh, yeah. all the way, all but, the way in the world, but, but, I, but I, I if, if, I, like, it goes but into if, account in my yeah, he, he did, you're right. And, and I do, like, obviously he went back and he had to reshoot the 22 scenes that the, the yeah. space he was in. But if he's if if what he's reshooting and how he's reshooting it isn't worthy of getting him and like it's, right. it's still at the end of the day what, what how is the final product and the final product it's a good movie it is a strong right. film but even even though he had to go back and reshoot you know x number of scenes in a you know certain chunk of the film I don't think what he reshot and how he reshot it right. is worthy of a best director. You know what I think plays into this too with Christopher Plummer is that he won recently. Um, he yes. won for Beginners, and yeah. and when he won for Beginners, I think he deserved to win. You know, he but they were also at that point kind of recognizing him for his body of work. Yeah, if he hadn't been recognized for his body of work recently, and if they were really trying to look for a role to get him for. He'd be the landslide frontrunner oh. in this category, oh, Without, yeah. because well, because even though everyone's leaning toward Willem Dafoe, there isn't like there there there's not you know uh, there's no Christoph Waltz in Inglorious Bastards. There's no like yeah, right. well that race right. is over. It's already done. 
Right, um, yeah. You know, people are leaning toward Willem Dafoe, but it could also be Sam Rockwell. So, yeah, I agree with you. Uh, Richard if, Jenkins if, in Shape of Water, who I think is fantastic. Yeah, I think that's the yeah. best. That, that's, but I, I do want to say, just uh, just to clarify one thing I was saying, I I am a believer of 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 the idea of a director keeping things going. And and again, I haven't since I haven't seen all the money in the world yet, uh, I have no idea how everything fits into a piece. But if the film still comes off and pulls itself off solidly, that needs to go into the appreciation of what he did as a filmmaker uh, and keeping everything in line. And again, haven't seen it, so I don't know for sure how well it turned out. But I think that that behind the scenes stuff is very effective knowing that. And like, and, and I think that should be taken into consideration when you're looking at giving a, a person a nomination for Best Director. All right, so more people are going to see that in the next coming days. Kevin, let's switch over to Greatest Showman, um, which I'm <laughs> double-checking right now, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it picked up a couple of Golden Globe Awards um, do you see Greatest Showman as being an Oscar contender? No, not and, and, and I'll use Jake's line: nothing above the line. I mean, I think everything that that movie will. Am get I the from, only one that says that? I've never heard that before in regards to Academy. We're giving you credit stuff, for that. But, yeah, <laughs> yeah I'll right. give you credit for that. It's a Jake is um, the the Greatest Showman is another frustrating movie for yeah. me, and I I had a very interesting experience the other day. I was in my car listening to the soundtrack for that movie. The soundtrack is a ten out of ten. Totally. It is it's such a great, phenomenal. Yeah. It's been in my head since we saw the movie. But I, it, the weird thing was, I remember we, Sean and I walked out of the screening and we, and we were, you know, we were talking about the movie and Sean was making the, we were commenting on the music being better than the overall film, which is definitely the case. Um, every performance in the movie is great. I think that Hugh Jackman's great. I think that um, Michelle Williams is, really is great. Zach Efron's and they, everyone's great. It is the storytelling that is the problem. The film is extremely rushed in the first act. Also, the lip syncing is so bad on really? the singing. There yeah. are times, and, and I'm a firm believer of trying to suspend my disbelief so much into a movie where I don't have to pick up on things like that. But there are times where the mouth. It just didn't. It felt delayed. It just felt like it felt like I was watching a music video. And there is an element to musicals that have been done over the years where it has worked. Lip syncing is a big, obviously, a big point of lip syn- of, uh, of of films. Um, but I think that here, and maybe after Les Mis doing it live and seeing a lot of things on Broadway recently, there's something weird about it in this particular setting. And they just break into song every five seconds. Um, now, I will say on the positive side, performance is great. As I said, music is great. I don't think the movie's bad. I just think that... <coughs> it, it, bless you. Bless I thought it had, story, it had storytelling issues and it had editing issues with the lip syncing. I gave it a three out of five, which is, you know, it's a matinee. It's worth seeing if you love the music. But when I listened to the soundtrack the other day, all I kept thinking to myself is, how is this movie not better? These right. songs are amazing. Like these songs are incredible. Incredible. They really okay, are. I, they're, they're inspirational. I have a question for you guys. Yes. Uh, and I, I have, a lot of people have been asking me this, but I haven't been able to answer because I haven't seen the film, so I don't feel justified answering. I know that there is a small but very vocal group of people who find the whole idea of this movie to be a problem because... Uh, uh, P.T. Barnum has a little bit more oh, yeah. of a darker history uh, yeah. behind him than this movie lets on and that there's a little bit of mm. whitewashing when it comes to making this happy-go-lucky <laughs> musical about a guy who maybe wasn't quite as happy-go-lucky as Hugh Jackman makes him Okay, out to be. so here's what I, I think that there is a P.T. Barnum biopic to be told eventually, you know? Right, uh, yeah. And this isn't it. Like, if you're, if you really want the story of P.T. Barnum, you're not going to get it here. Right. Um, I don't know enough Which about I thought I was going to get that here. 
Yeah, I don't know enough about theater, but it might be like if you went and saw Jesus Christ Superstar because you wanted to know about the Bible, right? <laughs> Fair like, enough. That's a good, that's a good that's, comparison. I don't know if that's what you're going to get. Here, you're just really getting entertaining song and dance. And they do, yeah. gl- you know, they gloss over periods of his life that, but but the but the movie is so sugar-coated and such yeah. just a, a piece of candy, you know, handed to you that if you sat back and you were like... Yeah, but he met that singer in Germany, you know, and brought her over to the States 30 years after he started the thing. And this movie does it in two songs. It's silly. Like, you're not, you can't really nitpick it for that reason. The movie didn't, I don't think the movie, I bet you they could have made this movie and it didn't even have to be P.T. Barnum. It could have just been Hugh Jackman as an entertainer and the songs would have been the same and it would have been the same basic movie. But it's interesting, I, and, and I heard that criticism uh, uh, later on after seeing the film. I, didn't, I wasn't really familiar with P.T. Barnum's past. Um, and I almost am interested as to why they just didn't go the way Sean just said and just tell a story about an entertainer creating a similar type of show. Because yeah. at the end of the film, in my opinion, without, I mean, I'm not spoiling anything, but the message I took away from the movie was that this guy was great, that he um, he was a great guy for bringing outcasts into uh, an environment and kind of giving them, uh, a, 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 in their minds, a sense of purpose. Because, it, 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 honestly, it feels like the X-Men. Uh, it, it's essentially people who are afraid, afraid to go out and, and show who they really are. And uh, P.T. Barnum and the story kind of gives them this outlet to be uh, expressive and 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 own the own own who they are, um, and it, it is it's just frustrating. I, and I I even brought that up to Hugh Jackman. I said, you know, if, if P.T. Barnum were to put on an X Men show, what would he do? <laughs> yeah. And just jokingly, because um, it I is a very X-Men similar musical. concept. I yeah, really I do. I want I want one too. Well, I, Disney might be putting it out <laughs> soon, so we'll see. <laughs> I just I I just found it frustrating that these songs were so great that so much work went into the film. You could tell that Hugh Jackman's very passionate about it. And again, it's not a bad movie it's just not as great as it could have been had they just tightened up the storytelling didn't rush the beginning and also fixed the lip sync it looks it looks bad but we're convinced it's gonna it's gonna win best song or or get nominated for best song just because they want jackman to show up and perform right like i mean that's Uh, yeah Yeah. if i had to bet my kids lives on any nomination on oscar boyd Something well, greatest showman is getting a best song. song I think this is me gets nominated, and Jackman doesn't perform that song. Yeah, that's true. That is the big song that they're pushing. They wouldn't go with the greatest show. Maybe he and Efron sing that song that they sang together in the in the bar. I'm not sure. Oh, the alcohol or they scene? just bring him out to sing it anyway. I mean, yeah, they, they, they don't they don't always bring out the the person that sings the song in the movie. Sometimes well, they often they just, don't. Yeah. 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 So so I'd argue. So you know, even if they do nominate this is me, which is a strong song. Maybe they do still bring out the whole cast and have, you know. Well, you got to bring out the bearded lady. She's a Tony winner, I think. Yeah. Sean, what's your rating out of five? Three. I went three out of five. I don't dislike it. And to clarify, Jake, your system's out of four, right? Uh, I do out of I do out of four, but on but just to just stick with consistency, I'll I'll adjust it to five. I'll do I'll I'll do my middle school math and make it work. (laughs) So, what would would your Star Wars rating have been then? Uh, Star Wars rating for it would have been three out of five. Three out of five. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. I want to give us time to get into too. our top fives um, yeah. because we're having so much fun putting these together. And yeah. again, Jake mentioned the the text chain that we have with each other. Uh, it, it's essentially this podcast um, in text in text message form. And we were building our top fives and talking about what's going to get in and what isn't going to get in. Um, I want to say off the bat with top fives that it's important to clarify that. Um, there's no wrong top five. So when you're screaming at us that we're picking the wrong things or 
uh, and and our approach tends to be with the top five too. I think not picking what the five most important movies of the year necessarily are, but the five that that are to us personally. These are our top five choices, and so right. um, and, and one thing that I think we're going to realize as we're talking about these is we all sort of drifted towards more blockbusters this year. Yeah, um, I, I I you know and and I always. Feel weird, you know. Like I have a little bit smaller films, six through ten. And I'm doing my I'm doing my full ten uh, on air, uh, at, you know, in Fox in Chicago uh, tomorrow. And uh, so I was a little worried about doing my top five here, just because it is so blockbustery field. And I was a little bit worried about people looking at it and going, "Oh, well, you only picked big budget, big budget blockbuster. You, you you didn't even bother to include any of the smaller films." I've seen all the smaller films. I'd argue the smaller independent films were weaker this year and that the blockbusters were a little bit stronger. The blockbusters had a a bigger impact on me than the smaller films. And one other really important point that I want to bring up too is that I think we all hit this point also, the three of us for sure, is – you just can't watch everything like you even in this final we all get screeners we're part of the broadcast from critic association we get inundated with from november and december we just get i have a stack on my floor here it's it's embarrassing of (laughs) movies that i want to get to but i finally set to wave the white flag and just say i'm not going to be able to see this um i can't get to everything and so this is what we've seen basically yeah so yeah and you know two months from now we might see something that everybody else is raving about and be like, Oh, that, that absolutely would have made my top yeah. 10. Then that's, that's, that, that's, it, it doesn't happen every year, but when it happens, that's such a frustrating feeling to see something yep. after the fact and go like, why didn't I, how, how did I not see that? Like I haven't seen Dunkirk yet, but Kevin says it's good. So <laughs> I love you, last. Sean. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go with number five. Everyone give their number five. Kevin, start with you. Uh, my, uh, are we going in an explanation? Or are we just saying? Well, it? no. You take. T- everyone says what their five is, and then we'll and then we'll chop them up. Okay, Kevin, so what's my yours? Num- my number five is Logan. Logan, Jake, what's yours? War for the Planet of the Apes. Ooh, apes. Um, mine is Mother. Ooh, uh, I, no. Say it right. I say it with an exclamation mark. Mother. There you go. <laughs> is that how you say it? I guess I'm really not sure. Uh, Jake, talk about apes. Um, because this is the culmination of a trilogy. Um from one of the most brilliant filmmakers ever, Matt Reeves. Yeah. Uh, and Andy Serkis thinking he's going to get some best actor play and not happening yet. I mean, a culmination of a trilogy that I, I still continuously find myself having to remind people is good. I mean, people were amazed when how good the first one was when it came out and then seemed to forget it when part two, and I had to convince my friends and family to go see part two. Oh, don't you remember how good part one was? And two I found myself so with this one. And two is great. And even with this film. The trailers came out and people go, I don't want to see a Planet of the Apes. And I go, no, but you loved part one and part two. Why would you not want to see <laughs> don't you part <laughs> three? <laughs> Excuse my voice, by the way. I have a little bit of a cold. So so uh, I, I felt more emotions for uh, these these motion capture CGI animal characters right. in this film than I felt for most human textured I can reach out and touch performances this year I thought it was inc- an incredibly strong film quiet when it needed to be quiet only right. loud when it needed to be loud um, I think the marketing did itself and even I'd argue maybe the title did itself a disservice by convincing people that maybe it was going to be this big giant epic war film I mean it is literally called War from the Planet of the Apes it was a little bit more of a uh, you know a, a study about w- what it means to be human but ironically from the perspective of a creature that wasn't human um, the foil between Andy Serkis uh, and and Woody Harrelson I thought was incredible. 
Um, How is Harrelson not getting more conversation? What? So uh, be- good. Between, between, that, between him and that and him and uh, three, three bo- billboards. billboards, which yeah. billboards is, is later on in my top ten, um, I, I am just – you know, and some of the shots – and and War for the Planet of the Apes are you know it's a cliche but you know you always talk about like oh picking off of a screen and hanging up on the wall there yeah. are just some absolutely gorgeous shots and uh, I thought it was just one of the most astounding I, blockbusters please can I tell you why apes didn't even sniff my top ten for the year please please it's so depressing see I don't it mind the, that oh it is the <laughs> it is it, it's not the saddest movie I watched all year but man did I leave that movie just yeah pummeled I mean, that's how i feel about like, wind river that's why wind river is not in my top 10 and i think i think wind river is an incredibly made movie but yeah. that movie messed me up and i yeah. I, I never wind river is my number again. nine yeah <laughs> are we are we allowed to talk about six through ten does that um does that i kill think the as drama? they come up yeah as they come up we can okay. sort of be like that's in my that's yeah. in my top like wind river is eight for me i believe oh yeah Wind's it's number nine for me yeah. um kevin logan i mean logan to me is in a year where we're celebrating superhero movies and wonder woman's getting a ton of run and to me spider-man homecoming was a reinvention of a character that's been around forever um logan did so many things right why did it hit number five uh well it's a brilliant film one uh and it was one of the few superhero films in the dark knight category where it jumped and and kind of transcended its genre yes uh you know the dark knight was just a crime drama that just happened to have Batman in it, and Logan's just a western that happens to have a guy with claws come out of his hands. I mean, it, yes. it's a, uh, it's an interesting perspective, and it's a, uh, it's tonally different than any uh, X Men film we ever saw. I, I think that Hugh Jackman, I can't believe he's not even in the race for a, cont- a even the contender for top five actors of the year. Right. Um, that performance is the performance of a career and a lifetime for him. He's brilliant in the film. Patrick Stewart is unbelievable. Every single shot. Daphne Keene is brilliant. Um, I just thought that it just played so well. And I thought that the R rating really kind of finally let us see the dark emotional um, <coughs> the dark emotional element that this character has been going through for all this time. is probably, in my opinion, the first time we ever saw who really Logan and Wolverine really was on screen. Um, there was a very conflicted uh, person and you know the opening line being the f word it was just it was and again i'm not saying the cursing makes it a great movie but it was just to me it finally felt like we were really seeing who he really was and mangold just kind of just the film just worked beautifully it was it's a masterclass in storytelling and i think that it's it deserves to be one of the best films of the year unfortunately uh, i don't think it's going to have any really big uh, Oscar nominations, and, I, and I'm surprised by that. I'm surprised that 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 Jackman's not even even being considered. Uh, Does Stewart but, but, get nominated? Stewart, I don't think Stewart will get nominated, and I, I don't and think unfor- so either. Unfortunately, but going back to Jake's number five, uh, and I said this before last week on the podcast, I, I it, Andy Circus is the best performance I've seen this year by an actor, no question. I don't, I haven't seen a single actor even come close to what Circus did uh, in War for the Planet of the Apes, and the the idea that it's even harder. To bring your emotions through a character that you, when you're not physically even on camera, I um, mean, you're standing there on set doing all your performance capture, but that to me is the best performance of 2017, and I cannot believe him nor Jackman are being, even being considered. All right, so um, if if Logan is later on our lists, do we mention it now or do we just wait? 
Uh, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna refrain from talking too much about it, yeah, because it because it Let's might just say it we might will talk about it later. later. Okay, mine is Mother. Um, okay. I'm gonna just say that uh, I think Aronofsky's film is one of the most brilliant films uh, I've seen this year. Uh, it is. I, I've been saying it is. I said this on on Facebook, and I kind of got shouted down by some people. I said it's it's the only real work of art that was released by an artist this year. Um, and then Ooh. I heard from people. Uh. I heard from people who were like, well, Del Toro and Shape of Water and Nolan and Dunkirk. And I get all that. Those I think those are those are beautifully made films. But with what I mean by this is that when someone looks at a piece of art, this abstract piece of art, that you interpret it so so differently from the person who's sitting right next to you. And I think that like everybody mm. can walk away from Mother with a different takeaway from it. And I don't think any of them are right or wrong. Um, I think that for some it's a biblical uh, al- uh, allegory. I think for some it's a, it's a uh, discussion about the creative process in general. For some it's about portrait of a marriage and how it falls apart and i don't think any of those are wrong i think aronofsky in in this singular vision has opened up this story to um a million different avenues for it to go down the cast is incredible jennifer lawrence gives the performance of her of her career in this i mean the how she got through the filming of this movie is beyond me without going totally crazy and uh i think the more i watch mother the more i'm going to pull stuff out of it so you know you you just said something that like blew my mind just now i don't know and it's funny when you Thank when you. you the podcast the, is over thanks for tuning the, in yeah, yeah the, we're good <laughs> the, the, you said two things that just kind of made me change my direction completely uh oh. one you said that it was the only film made by an artist this year that created a, whatever the work of art is you art. mentioned yeah um and when you first said that i'm like dude that, you can't say that because everyone's an artist making a film totally you're They're so all brilliant filmmakers but you're right about the fact that it was one of the few films, because uh, I'd probably put Blade Runner in this category as well, that where you walk away from it and you can have a multiple interpretations of it. Dunkirk is very straightforward. Uh, mm-hmm. It's telling the story. It's a, you know, and that's and that's fine. But I don't know. It, it's interesting what you just said about Mother because Mother was probably the only film this year that I did find myself continually debating in my head as to what was really happening. Um, so yeah, that's a really interesting point. All right. I have to say, it's the only movie that... Let's, okay, I don't know how long it was. But let's say it's, it was 120 minutes. That I went from, at one point, hating it, to another point, loving it, right. to another point saying, what the hell am I watching <laughs> in the grand... And usually, like, you know, you start watching a movie, and, and you from, from minute one, you start veering in one direction. And sure. sometimes you go really far in that direction, whether that direction be hate or love. Sometimes right. you kind of stay right in the middle. But either way, usually your trajectory kind of stays fairly singular. And, right. I mean, if, this, if if my emotions were a stock, I was at one point very rich, at one point very poor, and at one point the needle jumped off and fell onto the table and the ink spilled everywhere. <laughs> so it was... Which uh, was the intention. Know. That's what Yeah, exactly. All right, number four. Jake, give me four. Uh, number four for me was a little uh, small independent film that I'm fairly sure Kevin McCarthy hates called Dunkirk. Oh, <laughs> Kevin, what's your oh, four? Wow. My, my number four was The uh, Shape of Water. Oh, shape. All right. My number four was um, Good Time, starring mm. Robert Pattinson. That's my number uh, nine, actually. I want Jake to talk about Dunkirk because I don't want to hear Kevin <laughs> talk about Dunkirk. <laughs> Jake, uh, what, what is this about this film, and uh, how does it fit in Nolan's <laughs> filmography? So happy it's in your yeah. top five, by the yeah. way. It's amazing. Yeah. Wow. So, you, you know, going back to what we were talking about, about Star Wars, <clears throat> this idea that uh, it was something different than we expected, something, uh, you know, uh, a, a different way to present something that we were, we've seen 10,000 times before. Uh, the reason I went back and saw Star Wars again 
was because I wanted to, to really confirm how I feel felt about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, whenever the first time I saw Dunkirk, I wasn't quite sure how I felt about it. I knew I was astounded by by it from a technical standpoint. But I wasn't, because I wasn't incredibly prepared for the three different timelines moving at three different speeds, it felt like it took me half the movie to kind of kind of hold, get my bearings. Mm-hmm. And by that point, I thought, well, heck, I, like, I've missed half the movie because I've been trying to spend the first, you know, first half, first hour, just trying to figure out what the heck's going on. Right. And now, you know, the, the first half is lost on me. So it really wasn't until I saw it the second time that I, and I went in knowing sort of what the, for lack of a better word, bit was. That I truly appreciated this really, I don't want to say simple tale, but a borderline, borderline boils down to getting people from one one piece of land across water to another piece of land. Yep. And I know that that oversimplifies what was an incredibly heroic story because we're talking about civilians getting on small boats, sailing mm-hmm. quite literally into a world war. Um, but I mean, uh, Nolan is my vote for best director this year. How he yeah. how he told that story. Which could have been just a very straightforward "let's get these boys off the beach" story, and told it in such a way that I'm not entirely sure any other director could, yeah. and kept me so incredibly captivated and kept me moving. It felt like the final act of a war film <laughs> stretched over two hours. Yeah, like there there was no downbeat. You know, there's right. that. It's a good point. There, there's that say. You know, that saying whenever you make a mixtape that you need to have like high high songs and low songs and high songs. It's <laughs> like he just. It's like he just did high songs for an, for a, a cassette for the, the entire length of the cassette. Which is that's that the ballsiest type of mixtape to make. When you make a mixtape, yeah. you're like, I'm only putting up beat numbers. I, yeah, we're doing yeah. this. Only, <laughs> only a tracks and only the Dude. only the the good stuff. <laughs> you guys are blowing my mind today. Jake just made a point that I never even thought about in regards to this film. Right. It, it, you're right. It's like all it is is the third act of a movie. And it, it's unbelievable, like what you just said, because yeah, because like over all the years with these war films, like a Saving Private Ryan, which is you know different different type of movie, uh, right. amazing. There have been amazing war films, but a general census of a war movie is you have backstory of characters, they're riding home to their girlfriends and their and their wives, whatever whatever they're doing. There is there is emotional buildup to a character. We are sticking with people that we have learned about, and then you get that insane third act structure of just pure out battle unless you're saving Pride ryan where you open up with that um but you're right the, it, it's the third act of a war film and it's just brutal like the, the, and the way it's but anyways continue yeah, I yeah no seriously it's, Wait, no, that's exactly so yeah it's just, it's just this idea that you know i'm not i'm not discounting some of the because some of the greatest war movie war movies of all time have have, have gone into people's Build backstories up. and yeah. the relationship and sometimes you don't really need it you know like I'm not discounting the, the quality of that, but like you know, if I'm drowning in the middle of the ocean, don't come up to me and go, "Oh, like, like do, you ever, do you ever wish you wanted to learn Spanish?" Like, yeah, maybe at another time, just not relevant right now. Like, right. and and the, and the grand scheme of That's Dunkirk, yeah, point. like maybe sometimes it would have been great to learn behind, but we didn't have time. The clock is literally—you can hear it, tick 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 tick, literally, tick, tick, yeah. tick, tick 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 tick. Yes. I don't have time for that. It's a great so, point. Yeah. So I'm, t- I was totally, you know, it, it, that's that's a movie that took me a second. Doesn't time to the really guy have to take brilliant. a shit? Isn't like a sub yeah. the fact that the guy <laughs> for two hours, <laughs> dude. And by the way, if you see that movie, if you see that movie in seventy millimeter IMAX, you can actually hear it hit the sand. I listened very closely. Yeah. <laughs> I listened very closely to that. No, but it is, it is fascinating to think 
that that type of film exists uh, in, a, in a big budget environment that, yeah. that a studio would allow um, a, a film to come out in America that has nothing to do with America at the moment because we weren't even in the war at that moment, yeah. I believe, right? At the time, yeah, we weren't even in the war at the time. So um, it's and it, and it just resonated with, with, with American people. Yeah. I mean, Nolan had to earn the right to make that movie. He, Agreed. He made yeah. <coughs> he right. needed to... Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm getting all, all choked up whenever I, I make good points. Yeah, I'm about to stand up and salute to Nolan. Yeah, Kevin, yeah. save yeah. Shape of Water for a second. We're going to get to it in a minute. Let me talk good time, and then we'll move to three, because we gotta we got to move through these, and I know we're going to get the shape uh, in a little bit more time. And we can talk about the love story between a woman and a and an amphibian. Um, good time. <laughs> did, did you guys like good time at all? Did you... Uh, I love good time. Number really nine. love good Yeah. Was it, good was time it good? made me feel... Um, good time made me feel really dirty. Like, it just... Everything about it was... And to jump back to Aronofsky for a minute, it reminded me so much about um, Requiem for a Dream, where you just watch people making really bad decisions, really bad people making really bad decisions. But when you mentioned Dunkirk and the ticking clock element, Good Time has one of the greatest ticking clock stories. From the minute these guys try and rob this bank and the paint explodes on them, they're moving at a breakneck pace the entire movie. And it just it is a foot down on the gas pedal uh and and right up until the very end and, and truly i had no idea where this movie was going to go it constantly surprised me robert pattinson is amazing in it uh jennifer jason lee comes by for a brief scene in a it, she becomes a character who i want to have her own trilogy of films her and her abusive mother and the way that they're screaming at each other when they're going to try to convince the loan shark to give them some money so that they can get their their brother out of jail and just the way that that movie is structured, it's so um, ballsy, and I just I loved everything about it. So, dude, me too, man. I, I I didn't know what to expect when I went and saw that film. Well, first of all, Pattinson uh, delivers one of the best performances of the year, no question. He's, uh, he's incredible. The cinematography and the score in that film uh, blew my mind. Yes, uh, I the the music in that movie. Uh, it just it, it moves it, it utilizes itself as a character um, I can't believe these guys these young guys got their hands on 35 millimeter cameras I mean to me the, the, some of the most incredibly beautiful scenes are these beyond dark moments you like right. you can't see anything but the grain on the screen as they're breaking into that um, that fun land adventure land place yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. but if uh, I remember sitting in a theater, I hadn't seen a film shot on film that was that dark in in look, uh, in in visually in a long time because we're, we're so used to digital <laughs> projectors now. Even though it was projected digitally, but the 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 grain on that film was like beyond I wanna, belief. I want to bring up a point about this movie too, and it brings us back to Star Wars for a minute. And I didn't even realize it until we're just talking about it right now. It is the type of movie that subverts every expectation that you have about it, um, right? And and not in a way that's condescending to the audience. Right. There's an right. entire scene in that it's movie great, without great without giving point. anything away of where he has to take a guy out of the hospital um and yes. he's all bandaged up and it the reveal is he gets the wrong guy. He gets and, the wrong guy. <laughs> and you're not mad when that's revealed. You're like, "Oh my god, I think that that could really happen." Yeah. And it wasn't it was insulting. Great it was I agree great. with and you. And that was a great moment because it made point. me go, "Where is this movie going? <laughs> like what what is happening? Right. And that's right, when it made me yeah. realize, like, I mean, and you know, it's funny you mentioned that moment because that might have been the moment that it sold me where I go, I have no idea what this, like, I thought I knew what this movie was going to be. Right. And it just looked me in the eyes and says, you have no idea what's about to happen. That's right. the right way to do a misdirect. That's the yes. right way to do it. Yeah. And yes. it's, a, it's a great point that Sean just made because 
Star Wars, it, 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 it's the inherent idea of you know the audience is expecting something and you're just laughing at us. Right. Uh, with Good Time, there's nothing. You don't go into a movie like Good Time and like, oh my God, what's going to happen with this character? You, you don't even know who they are. Right. So right. It, it was so well done. All right. We're into Love our top movie. threes. Our top threes. Um, mine is Shape of Water, which I knew we were going to get around to again. Kevin, what's your top? What's your number three? Blade Runner 2049. Jake? The Post. Oh, yes. Whoa! Yes! Top five! Um, <laughs> let's a, start talking about The Shape of Water because Kevin had it as his four. I had it as my number three. Um, it is a... Guillermo del Toro is just a master. Um, and I think, to me, this is the movie that he's been building to his entire time. Um, I, I think he adores genre um, and he made his haunted house movie with crimson peak and he made the hellboy movies. And, um, th- there was another film. What, what movie am I blanking on that he made? Um, this one, this is the one that just, it's, it's probably his most mainstream. And yet to call a movie about a woman who falls in love with a, an, a black lagoon type creature mainstream is very strange. And what I find really odd now is that a lot of people came out and said how much they loved it. And now there's backlash coming out of it. Of people saying it left them cold they don't understand what you know what's romantic about it. Um, I find it to be extremely romantic. Beyond the fact, it's one of the most gorgeous movies that I've watched this year. The production design on it is incredible. Yeah, I, it's a, it's my number four. I mean, I love that movie, and uh, I just I cannot believe what he pulled off for nineteen point five million. It looks right. insane, and a lot of that has to do with a filmmaker not relying on CGI so much that they just use it to fix everything. He, in my opinion, made a movie where he made it as practical as possible and then used CGI when he absolutely had to. Uh, and and it, you go back to something like a Jurassic Park, for example, where Tara Spielberg had this incredible tool of CGI at that time, but he still wanted to make things as practical as possible, building a 10,000-pound T-Rex and doing things physically on in camera. Same thing here with Shape of Water. CGI has changed, obviously, a lot since then, but... The fact that he made Doug Jones, 90% prosthetics, that he used this technique to make them look like they were underwater, but they weren't underwater. I mean, like everything they did was unbelievable old school techniques while also telling a beautiful story and having every single character be beautifully layered, um, just down to the detail, the green color of Michael Shannon's candy. I mean, you look at every (laughs) single- green all over that movie. Green is the is, is the theme of the film. You go into a bathroom in, in that movie, it, it's green soap, it's green tiles, it's yeah. green everything. Uh, I mean, everything is green. And I think that it was it was an interesting idea, but it but it spoke volumes. I thought that Shannon was incredible. Stahlberg was incredible. Hawkins, I mean, what a performance from her in honoring the ASL community. And, um, you know, and I just think that everybody was great. And Doug Jones, another actor who just brilliantly comes through the character and through the prosthetics with an emotional performance. Uh, it, it's a beautiful movie. I, and I, I, I'm, I still can't get over the whole drive for wet thing. And I've, I've explained this to you guys before, but it is just mind blowing how they did that, but it's crazy. Jake, so. it didn't move you, did it? Yeah. Yeah. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Um, wasn't in contention in my, and for my top 10 in, in, in the sense that like, it wasn't even one of those outside choices that I was bummed that it couldn't make. Um, right. I saw the film a couple of months ago. Um, before it started building that buzz and knew, knew that I liked it. Um, but it, it didn't hit me. And here's, here's what's the, the most frustrating part. And I'm sure you guys have, have experienced this before on paper. It should be a movie that I love. 
It's got this really great sort of creature feature feel to it. It's got this this incredible, uh, powerful love story. It's very much a tribute to old school classic cinema, the kind of cinema that we don't get anymore. It's Guillermo del Toro, who I'm a big fan of. It's got all of these different puzzle pieces that when I pick up the puzzle piece, I go, ooh, I love this. I love this individual <laughs> piece. And then when I put together the, the, the actual puzzle and I step back and look at my final product, I go, huh, okay, well, that's, yeah. I mean, I liked it. I, I liked it. But I didn't love it. It didn't connect with me in, in the way that I needed it con- to connect for me to be able to say that not only that I loved it, but that it was a top 10 movie for me. Kevin, we both love it. Do you think it could win Best Picture? It's, it's such an interesting question because uh, <laughs> we've, seen it, we've seen so many films take the front runner post uh, over the past couple of weeks. Uh, Shape of Water, uh, I think it's – there's like 10 front runners for Best Picture. I have no idea. I don't – I don't know. Uh, I mean, I, I have no idea. It, 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 didn't they get? They got the most nominations at Critics' Choice, I believe. If I'm right it on did. that. Yes. Um, so I, I, it's going to be a massive contender. Uh, I could see maybe a split happening with maybe Nolan winning director, and then and then this wins picture. I have no idea what's going to happen. Um, but it is a it's a great film, and I and I think the most devastating part of that movie emotionally is Jenkins's character. Right. Uh, it, 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 what a performance! I mean, yeah. what that character is incredible. He, he's incredible, and and I will say so that one good. of the elements that, that I love the most is the idea that because our lead cannot speak, the two people that that have the most of, of, of the most voice are the two people in that time period: a gay man and a black woman who would not be able to speak. So I do love mm. that he gave a voice to two demographics in, in, in a time period that otherwise were not allowed to speak out and have a voice. And that is one of the aspects I love. That's why I, I, you know, I truly love. I, I don't quite get the awards chatter for, for Olivia, uh, Octavia Spencer, but I do think, I mean, there, you know, outside of Best Picture, there's no awards considerations being presented for this film that I disagree with. Like if Sally Hawkins were to win Best Actress, if Richard Jenkins were to win Supporting Actor, if Guillermo del Toro were to win Best Director, I'd go, cool, I'm cool with that. It just didn't connect with me as a picture as a whole. As a whole. All right. I know that The Post and Blade Runner are going to come up again, so we're going we're gonna to bump yeah. to two. Um, give, me your, give me your twos. Uh, Kevin, we'll start with you. Get Out, number two. Yeah, it's a movie we haven't spoke about yet. Jake, what's your two? Yeah. Logan. Logan, and mine is Logan also. Hey! We have raved about Logan already. Um, I, I'm a little bit stunned it's as high up as it is for me. Um, it's a movie that we saw earlier in the year. Uh, I kept waiting for more films to knock it down. Uh, yeah. And then it's one of those films, Jake, I don't know if you did this also, but as we got to the year end and I sort of revisited a bunch of films, I popped it back in and I was stunned at how great it is. Yeah, exactly. Um, same thing. I, it's one of those, you know, and, and sometimes you do this and you see a movie earlier in the year and you go, well, this is, this is the placeholder for yeah. one of my yeah. very top spots. Beat Logan. Until Every we get a little bit later. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, they, this is the bar and Logan was the bar. And obviously, since it's number two, there's only one, one film that beat it. And to be completely honest with you, I'm kind of wishy-washy about my number one and number two. My number one is not a definitive, very strong number one. It just happens to have the edge over my number two right now. I could see myself in five years looking back and going, you know, Logan was really the one for me. Yeah. Um, beautiful film, strong film, powerful film, emotional film, uh, a, a superhero film that, that that I feel like it's a slap in the face to just just call it a superhero film because it's so much more, you know, people take that title and break it down. As, and, and I think because of that title, it's not maybe not getting the awards consideration that it, which, which is unfair because it's unfair to say that a superhero film can't have those elements. 
Um, you know, in the same sense that like, you know, it's, it's saying like, well, well, it's a horror film, therefore it can't get, well, why not? It's, it's, it's a, you know, it's an amazing film. Well, um, you mentioned that like a, the get out is a horror film. Uh, and get yeah, out exactly. also came out in February. Like it's February. an early yeah, part exactly. of the year movie that, and those movies had the hardest time sticking around in the conversation. And yet Kevin, you have it at number yeah. two. And I know you're a Hitchcock I mean, was... fan too. So get out. You think Jordan Peele made an essentially a contemporary Hitchcock film. I, yeah, a hundred percent. And I think, uh, get out is the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, I've watched it numerous times. And every single time I find something brilliant about it that I didn't see the first time around. Um, I, by the way, is my mic okay? I know they were saying that there were some issues. Try Are you guys hearing me better now? It. Try unplug it. I did and twice. Plug it back in. Did you? It's still I, a little yeah. It, what does it sound like? Uh, Jake, do you hear it? It sounds a little crackly. Okay, what about now? Testing, testing, one, two. I know we're live, but it's okay. We're a <laughs> podcast. It's fine. Same still. Maybe try doing it without the earphone, without the... All right, power through. All right, here we go. Um, So, uh, all right, get out. Yeah, just a brilliant piece of work. I think that every single thing that went into this film, every shot, every line of dialogue, every little piece of movement from any character has a reason. And, like, there are... There are so many films where people are just doing things that might necessarily mean something to the story later on. Every single detail of this movie is important. Um, first time I filmmaker the, too. That blows me away. Yeah. Blew my mind. So the first time I saw it, so what I love about, what I, what I love about this movie is my reaction every time I watch it. The first time I saw it, it was, it was the twist. I'm like, oh my God, Did, I, I didn't see it coming, but the second time I saw it, I really finally truly understood the layers of what Jordan did with right. the writing. Allison Williams' performance is so incredibly great, but you can't talk about why unless you talk about the spoilers. Now, since the film came out in March or February, I'm going to discuss it now, and she's she's clearly in on the whole thing, bringing him over there and having the whatever happens with the brains. It's crazy. Um, but it is... The nuances of every detail of what she does. Go into every single scene and watch her face again. Uh, There's a moment in the film where uh, they're at a party and someone walks up to Daniel Kaluuya and like and like grabs his muscle and you know and and essentially trying to figure out this is the type of person they want to testing uh, him out. Test him out. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, is my. I'm wondering, Kevin. You still sound tedious, but trying to unplugging your headphones. Hold on a second, guys. (laughs) I don't know what's going on here. My problem with Get Out is just the reveal of what what it was. Ultimately, didn't live up to what I was hoping that it was going to be, and I I don't want to fault the movie for that because Kevin's right. The more you sort of go back and revisit it, um, and you see how Jordan sort of later layered it in, it's it really is. And he's kind of he, he kind of tells you almost from the beginning this is what's you know it's, it's very much it reminded me of the Sixth Sense where you go back and watch the Sixth Sense and the answer's right there. Right, you're just not seeing it. Right. I just think that I I just think that every detail is incredible. And Allison Williams, and again, the part I was mentioning just now about when he when when they're at the party when they're testing uh, him out and they're walking up. There's a shot where um, a woman walks up and grabs his arm, as I mentioned, and she goes too far. Uh, The the woman goes too far and essentially is almost giving away what's happening to the character. And Allison looks at her in like disgust, like. Stop it! Like you're going, you're you're, you're going to give us away, and right. like something like that, you would never notice that unless you were watching it second, third, fourth time, yeah, because yeah, it wouldn't yeah. make sense as to why she was doing that. And it's just like, oh my god! And then the whole premise of what the what was going on, Daniel Kaluuya's performance, 
That does he guy, get a best actor nomination? Hundred percent, no question. He gets does nominated. He? On no question, he'll get he'll get he gets nominated. No question, in my opinion. Wow, I think he has a really Dude, good. Dude, he got Universal. I think Universal needs to step up their their campaign. I don't think they're pushing Get Out hard enough right now. Um, they're concentrating a lot of their uh, efforts in New York and L.A., which is important. That's where the Academy members are. But um, they have to remind people about this movie. Like we're all talking about it because it's kind of on our radar. But people saw this movie back in February and there's so many other films that have come out since then. And, and, and yeah. Academy members have the attention spans of mosquitoes. Essentially. They don't remember what they haven't I, seen. I think Jordan Peele will get a nomination for director. I think he'll get a screenplay nomination. I think cool. will get an, uh, an actor nomination. I think he'll get a picture nomination. I think it's going to go. I think you think, be- you think Peele gets director nomination. Yeah, I think so. That's I can see that. I think Peele has a better. I think Peele has a better shot nomination than Kaluuya does. Is that? Oh, I don't know. Hey, you know what's funny is that I, I feel like I have been seeing Get Out pop up more and more. And I I just got an email um, just just since this this podcast has been going on, uh, essentially Peele. saying, uh, no, I'm I'm not nearly that cool. That um, so Get Out has more Best Picture wins from different critic circles than any other movie so far wow. this year. Yeah. Yeah, so Atlanta, Boston, Kansas, Philadelphia, San Diego, Seattle, Southeastern, D.C., uh, African American, New Yorker, Forbes, Empire, IndieWire, Sight and Sound, L.A. Da- uh, Daily News, and The Atlantic. It's amazing. And it deserves, it, it, listen, I am so happy that that film, and it's funny because, and, and we'll discuss this more later on when we get to our number ones, but like, I would be ecstatic to see uh, to see Get Out win. I, I think it would be. Uh, I think it's a phenomenal film. I think it's a masterpiece from a master filmmaker who made it on his first movie. It's just a genius movie from every step of the way. I yeah. love it. It's I my it's my number six. I mean, like it's it's the movie that I'm not talking about, but it's just as cool. You know, it's. I don't want to be the guy who steps back and looks at the bigger picture of this, but I wonder if Moonlight winning last last year stops Get Out from winning this year. Interesting. Yeah, I'm just nice. curious if that if that yeah. becomes a conversation. All right, listen, let's do our our number ones. But Jake, let's go through you. Jake had War for the Planet of the Apes yeah. at five. He had Dunkirk at four. He had The Post at three. He had Logan at number two. Give us your number one. Uh, Blade Runner 2049. Kevin had Logan, Shape of Water, Blade Runner, Get Out. Give us your number one. The Emoji Movie. <laughs> Wait, why are you guys? Why are you guys laughing? I'm not laughing. I'm. I'm. I'm just. I feel better. I than mean, I had yeah, uh, on, Mother I mean, at number five. <laughs> Good Time at number four. I had The Shape of Water at number three. I feel like you guys are judging me. No, I, I think that's well, a I've fair been choice. Judging you for a long time, man. I had Logan at guys? number two. <laughs> And my number one is The Post. So our three favorite movies of the year are The Post, Dunkirk, and Blade Runner 2049. Um, well, let's dive into Blade Runner because we haven't talked about it yet. And then we'll dive into The Post. Yeah. Uh, Blade Runner is feels like one of these movies that much like the original one is, is totally overlooked. And yeah. maybe 15 yeah, or 20 I, years from now, people will come back around and be like, man, that movie was a classic. But you have Denis yeah. working by with the way, I was Gosling. joking, by the way. We know it's yeah. Dunkirk. Yeah, yeah. Kevin. Ke- yeah, yeah. Everyone knows. Ke- everyone, know for people Dunkirk. that don't know Kevin McCarthy, it's Dunkirk. <laughs> yeah. For love of God, it's Dunkirk. Dunkirk. Yeah. yeah. Um, why did um, that? Why is everybody Blade sleeping Runner, on this yeah. movie? What happened? What happened with Blade Runner? You know, and, and we touched on this in the last podcast. What's really frustrating is that 
if Dunkirk opened bigger and had a bigger box office, I think we would be talking about Denis as a best picture, uh, or best director contender. I right. think Blade Runner would be a best picture contender. I think it would get, you know, a, I mean, right now, it seems that the, the only awards argument we're, we're talking about is whether or not Deakins is finally going to win a cinematography Oscar. He's going to lose uh, again. I'm telling you, he's going to lose which again. Which astounds me. Which astounds me. But, I mean, and it sucks that because maybe it wasn't popular mainstream, that, that there was this stigma of failure around the movie that people confused with quality. For some right. reason, this idea that because it didn't do well, therefore it can't, you know. Uh, I, I, it, it blows my mind. Uh, I thought, it thought just it was just a technical marvel. I mean, we're right. talking about a sequel. I mean, on paper, this movie should have been a failure. It was a sequel to a sci-fi classic 30 years later that in actuality no one was really asking for. There wasn't a large group of Aurora's people with like their picket signs getting, saying, give me Blade Runner 2. Right. No one really knew we needed this movie until we saw it and thought, dear God, we needed this movie. I mean, the fact that it is a sequel to a movie that, and we didn't know we needed this, and I'd argue as good, and depending on how time treats this film, potentially better than the original film, is astounding. I'd put it in the ballpark of Godfather 2 and Terminator 2 and Empire Strikes Back, where we look back and go, that was better than the original. It was. It is a sci-fi masterpiece yeah. uh, in every sense of the word. Um, it is my favorite movie. In, in master, if, if, if we're going the literal definition of masterpiece, which is the best singular work from, a, from an artist, I would call, for at this point, Blade Runner 2049, Denis' masterpiece. Kevin, I, how far I, apart? Hold on. How far apart is Dunkirk from Get Out for you? Uh, that's a great question. Um, very good question. Now, uh, how how can I how can I put that into terms? What do you mean? Like in regards like did to get, like, did Get Out ever have a chance? Did Get Out ever have a chance no. of surpassing Dunkirk as your number one? No. Dun- number Dunkirk was just far and away. Dunkirk, it, yeah. I it, listen. It, it, it's so, and that that to me is why I'm so excited about this year. This has been an amazing year for movies, and I and I and it. it it pains me when people tell me that this has been a bad year for movies. And people are like, and people equate that, as Jake just said, with box office. Oh, because the box office was down, somehow this was a bad year for cinema. Um, and I hate that because quality does not equal box office numbers. The number one film of all time is Avatar, and it's not a good movie. Um, it's, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's not a good film at all. I agree with you. Uh, it's visually, doesn't even look great anymore either after all these years. Um, I. Blade Runner 2049, which I didn't really get to earlier, is a masterpiece. I completely agree with you. It's, it's, a, it's an incredible film. Uh, visually, I, I, I don't think Deacons will win uh, again. But I kind of uh, I kind of feel like I've mentioned this before on the show. Deacons is finding himself in, in very good company of people who have never won an Oscar. I think he'll be fine. I think he would be okay with leaving that company, though. I think if it were up sure. to him, he'd go, you know, I'd rather be in the Oscar-winning company. Oh, I, I understand what you're saying. I'm just saying that, you know, as we've mentioned before, Hitchcock never won an Oscar. Orson Welles never won an Oscar. I mean, it, it, Kubrick never won an Oscar. Uh, so it, it, he's not in the worst company because the Oscars, in my opinion, ultimately don't really mean but anything. Here, here's the problem is that the average person walking on the street knows who Kubrick and Hitchcock knows who. No, not everyone knows or even cares who a cinematographer is, much less, you know, can, can name the difference between Conrad L. Hall or, uh, or you know, or, or Roger Deakins. Not, every, not, not yeah. everyone can, you know, that's. So it's not like he's considered. Not, it's not like he's one of the greatest, most famous directors of all time and didn't win. He's a guy behind a camera who hasn't right. got had a moment of recognition. He's not I, a genius, though. Oh, I agree. I mean, yeah, just, absolutely. The work so Deacons, the work Deacons did on Blade Runner twenty forty nine. It's as if 
and I've said this before a lot in my reviews, is that the, the, the cinematography was a character. It spoke to us. It emotionally drove us through every single scene. The it, colors. It, every oh, shot yeah. of that movie. Vegas. How, the, the orange of Vegas, oh, the, am- the dripping of the rain. I mean, like, yeah. I, I'd argue, you know, my, my favorite uh, rain scene of all time is uh, Conrad L. Hall shot it. Uh, and I know I talk a lot about Road to Perdition, but in the final act of Road to Perdition where Tom Hanks guns down uh, 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 Paul, Newman. Paul Newman. And it was, it's, that's, you know. and, Jeez, and I, spoilers I like, for no, Road to Perdition. I know, spo- Wait I know right? It's a, it's a 15-year-old <laughs> spoiler. Uh, so it's, I thought that was like the most beautiful rain shot and and i i'd say what deacons does does with rain and, and blade runner you know is 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 beautiful all right yeah, i, I want to move to 2049 the, i want to move to the post because we haven't even talked about it and it's yep. it's my number one it's jake's number three um i don't think it moved kevin quite as much but but i want to talk about the fact that it's kevin just, hates um, freedom, freedom of the press that it's, <laughs> it's i love the spielberg post. Just... spielberg started making the post in may and he delivered it in december and it, uh, to me, there are there are two types of Spielberg movies. There's the historical drama that's weighed down by importance, and that's movies like Amistad and Lincoln and even Private Ryan to a certain extent, um, which has a very exciting opening, but then settles into the groove of you know Spielberg teaching everybody a lesson, which is great. When he's firing on those cylinders, he's amazing. And then he has his blockbuster gear that he throws into for Minority Report and uh, War, uh, War of, the, of the Worlds and... I mean, everything, you know, Indiana Jones and all those amazing action films. And even as he's prepping um, Ready Player One, he just gets this screenplay dropped on his lap. And he's it's about, you know, the importance of journalism in a time when when the power of the press is being questioned by a, a presidential administration. And regardless of what your politics are um, on either side, that's that's an important topic today. It's currently happening and you can you can debate the the merits of it. But but he sees this and he's like, all right, I'm going to throw together um, probably the best ensemble that we have seen on screen this year. Uh, you look down the bench. It's so it's Tom Hanks and his Meryl Streep. Great. Right. But then yeah. every single scene is just heavy hitter yeah. after heavy hitter of character after character character. Yeah. And every other character is the lead of one of the best shows on television. We're talking The Leftovers or Better Call Saul or The Americans or Glow. People who and and I that Jake, I think you nailed it because I think Spielberg was moving at a speed that that television moves at to file away episodes. Um, And it wasn't the a bloated feature length uh, production schedule. It was it was scene, scene, scene. We're moving, we're moving, we're moving. And it had an energy. But on top of all of that, it builds to to a moment where Meryl Streep's character has to make this extremely pivotal decision. And it was finally to me, a scene in a movie that made me stand up and just be like, that is the scene. That's, that's the movie that got me. It's here. And Meryl Streep is deciding whether she's going to allow Ben Bradley, Tom Hanks's character to publish the, these papers that she has. And Hanks is just, he's, he doesn't say a word. He's just over her shoulder. He's smirking because he knows that everything he believes in that he's fighting for is going to click and it's all going to be okay. And when Spielberg nails that, I th- there's just nobody better at delivering that type of storytelling. And uh, and to me, it's it's one of his best films in years. Um, I go back to, I say it goes as far back as Minority Report. I like Munich, but I think Munich has some fat that could be trimmed. This, to me, it doesn't have a false note. Um, it doesn't have a bad performance. And the fact that he delivered it at a time when he just looked at the landscape of what's happening in life and he was like, we need this movie now. So I'm going to kick it into a gear that at 71... Um, 
most filmmakers don't even have, they haven't found yet. You know, we talk about Ridley replacing Kevin Spacey in 10 days. Spielberg delivered this movie in seven months. And that, yeah. that blows my mind. Yeah, there, there, there's this cliche amongst, you know, sports figures and, and whatever the case may be, is that the best make it look easy. And that's how I felt about um, Spielberg and, and, and something like The Post. The Post could have been this very dragged on, monotonous, sort of like history lesson of what you need to know. And, and, and Kevin brought this point up whenever we did the red carpet, which is he made me question what was going to happen in a story where I already knew what the ending was. Mm-hmm. And he did it in such a way that it, it made it look easy, but it's not. It's, it's, it was incredibly skillfully directed because it's Spielberg. He's just that good. Right. And, and that movie shouldn't have been as good as it was. It's a powerful story, but I shouldn't have been holding my armrest wondering what was going to happen. And I think that is a testament. And I think Spielberg de- deserves to be in conversation for best director just as much as anyone else does. Indeed. Yeah. I thought the, po- I thought the post was incredible. Uh, I-, I think that it it's masterfully shot. Uh, but yeah, there's this element where I, and I remember sitting there watching and I had knots in my stomach. I'm, and and I, I even asked Spielberg this on the carpet and he, he didn't even know how to answer it because I was like, how do you make a film where you, Make us forget the ending, uh, in a sense, in, in just in a moment where you're you're so you're so into the story and the moment that you just genuinely, in the back of your mind, you know that they published the papers. Right. But my stomach was in like anxiety knots, like what's gonna happen here? So he he doesn't even know how he does it, but he but he he tries the hardest way he can to manipulate you in such a way where you can just fully suspend your disbelief in that moment. It's a, it's a beautiful <laughs> movie. Uh, bless bless you. you. And I think you. The Post is definitely a, one of the best films of the year. And I, it's not in my top five. Uh, and I, and I, I do, I, but I, I wholeheartedly understand your points. And I actually love watching Sean just get so passionate about it. And he makes yeah. a great, he makes an unbelievably great point about it combining both styles of Spielberg from the blockbuster element and the, and the, and the intensity of it and the knots in your stomach to uh, a beautiful uh, nonfiction drama. Uh, and it, it's a great point. It's exactly what the movie does. And it's right, a very are... rewatchable movie. Like, yes. more, like that's usually the kind of movie where I watch once and I go, Oh, you know, I think I saw Lincoln once. I think I saw it for the junket and then I don't think I've seen it again, but I watched the post and I go, like I like I want to sit down with my family and watch it. I want to sit down with this person. Like I'm I'm down to watch that movie two or three more times. We have the screener, and I guarantee you, I'll watch it again before the year's out. Let me say one thing real fast, just just because I made a joke earlier about Emoji Movie being my number one. And I know you guys all know I'm joking, but um, <laughs> but 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 just one thing about Dunkirk, and, I, and I'm not going to go on about this because I've been. Sure. No, I, you. I feel like you haven't had a chance to talk about Dunkirk. I will say this, and I I jokingly annoy Jake and Sean about Dunkirk to a point where it, it's become kind of a laughable thing between us, between all three of us. Um, there, and to you guys, and I'm sure you know this. Um, I only send those messages to you guys because I know you guys get annoyed by it jokingly. Of course. Um, uh, and it's a brilliant film. It really is a brilliant yeah, film. It is. Dun- Dunkirk is, and I'm oh, 33 right, years go, old, Jake. and I and, we gave him oh, in. Uh, no, 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 no. Just give, give me, give me thirty, give, give me thirty seconds, and I, and I, and then we'll move on. Give me, give me thirty seconds. No, 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 no. Give me, give me thirty seconds. <laughs> 
<laughs> go ahead. Go, go, go. Uh, 30 seconds. It's 30 funny. Seconds. I actually said to myself, I'm not going to mention Dunkirk <laughs> once on this whole podcast until the very end. <laughs> you lasted just... like two minutes. <laughs> I, I just you watched him. He actually watched started. it before the podcast. We should point out that. <laughs> and what time was that? Was that number seven? For yeah, seventh it was time. Number seven, baby. Yes. Number seven. Here's what I'm saying. Right. It, it, it would annoy me more if you gave this much attention to a movie that, that sucked. <laughs> it, like As much as I give you a hard time for it, yes. you're calling out a truly tremendous film. Yes. Okay. Here's all I want to say, and I, yes. I've been—I'm 33 years old. I, I've been watching movies since I was a little kid. Um, I've been going to the theater all my life. Movie theaters are my favorite place to go. It just takes me out of the world. I, I sit into a—I sit in a theater, and I'm just blown away by the storytelling that these filmmakers give me. Um, Dunkirk in 70 millimeter IMAX is the greatest experience I've ever had in a movie theater, cinematically. Just, uh, and, and I'm not saying it's the best movie I've ever seen in a movie theater. I'm saying it was the greatest experience I've ever had sitting in a theater and watching a story unfold on screen. Just the way it was visually done, the IMAX shots, everything about it was beyond captivating. And the first time I saw it, I had the same reaction Jake did, I, I, and I loved it. It was, one of my, it was my favorite movie of the year at the moment. But I... The first viewing was a little bit more work because you're don't you don't really understand fully yet the three t- the three timeline structure of the story, and I think that Nolan is displaying a film here where he's not he's just telling the story he wants to tell and he's not he's not spoon feeding the audience anything he is just this is what I wanted to tell and I, I remember him, him being in a Q and A saying that the three timeline structure was confusing and the guy said to him. Were you worried about the audience is not getting it? And Nolan literally said, F it. Like, he was like, I don't care. This is the story I want to tell, and I don't need to follow normal tropes that are in other films. This is what I want to do. Um, and I think it's a really ballsy move on a director's part to be able to do that and not give us an emotional background or connection to a lot of these characters because the character really is the score of the film. It's it, it just everything happening uh, fast-paced. So I, I, I have to tear down the curtain just for a minute and let people know that how earnest and, and honest Kevin is about all this. Um, we were in New York. Uh, and Kevin was about to go into a room and interview Steven Spielberg. And instead of preparing for that, he was on a phone checking showtimes at the Lincoln's uh, IMAX because they had Dunkirk playing at 70 millimeter. And he was like, come on, you and I are going to go. He's like, what, how, what, how many screenings are left? Can we go tomorrow morning? He was literally about to go into a room and, and interview Spielberg and was instead checking Fandango to see if we could fit in a 70 millimeter IMAX Dunkirk and screen. For the record, too. I had already prepared heavily for Spielberg. I had like 15 questions written down. I'd already practiced them in the shower that morning. Uh, so I was already mentally in the Spielberg and 13 moment. of those questions were about Dunkirk. Yeah, yeah they were, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, you know, I will say I did work a Dunkirk mention in my Spielberg interview. If you watch the you. end of it, it's in there. Um, no, but I just, yeah, there's, uh, I, yeah, this, this, uh, the, the showing that you're talking about in New York, I, that was my sixth time. And, wow. I, and, I, I, and I, I found a three-hour window in my Is day. Is that the most you've ever seen a movie in theaters? Uh, I, I think so, probably. But I also think, like... And just going to that theater and seeing it the sixth time in 70mm IMAX on an eight-story IMAX screen at Lincoln Square was just beyond belief. I've never seen anything like that before. And just, I don't know. It was just a very exciting time to have a film out that was being projected on film, that was shot all on film, that was shot 70% on IMAX film cameras and the other 65mm IMAX, or 65mm cameras. It was just, ugh. I don't know. I just think it's a beautiful film. But, uh, right, it's we my have favorite, to... one of my favorite movies of all time. We have to stick this landing. Um, 
this has been a warts blend. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know who else tuned in for the entire thing. Hopefully it's waiting for you guys later on. Um, this was an experiment for us in the fact that we weren't supposed to start this until 2018. Um, but Critics' Choice dropped and Star Wars was about to drop. And then we had our, our top tens coming together. So we went with two episodes uh, in 2017 and, and we're going to continue it all the way through 2018. So hopefully you guys tuned in and watched some of it live. Um, hopefully the rest of you guys are finding it through uh, podcast channels and we're going to continue to make it available in different places where people can stream it and, and download it later, especially a long episode like this, where we uh, took the time to go through all of our top fives and also discuss star star Wars and the backlash that it was facing. So we're going to conclude it. Um, we will be back in January. I want everybody to know we're going to take a little bit of break for the holidays, um, to go visit our families and come back. And then we'll be back right before the Critics' Choice Awards, which take place on January 11th. We'll probably do some predictions before it. Maybe we'll talk about it afterwards and see who did what and where and what movies are starting to emerge. So, Wait, boys, Sean, I thought, yes. I thought we were doing a five-hour uh, live show on Christmas Day starting at 5 a.m. Yes, call me. I'll be... <laughs> Okay. Well, I'll be up. I have, I have Gabe, kids. Gabe's excited about it. Look at Gabe in the corner there. He's, he's really excited about Our it. Our producer just hung himself. So, boys, <laughs> say goodbye to everybody. Thank you very much for tuning in. Kevin, Jake, say goodbye. Thank you, guys. And thank you, Sean, for putting this together, man. This has been a lot of fun. And, uh, I, you know, like, like you said, we weren't even supposed to do one before 2018. And the fact that we did one and instantly we're like, we've got to do another one. I think is a pretty good sign that we're moving in uh, a, a really solid direction. And, uh, you know, I think we all have fairly busy schedules and it's not, I don't think it's easy for any of us to stop and take two hours out, two hours out of our day to just sit and, and, and chit chat about movies. So uh, I obviously, hopefully people at home realize that this comes from a place of, of passion and, uh, of, and I have to get to uh, all the money in the world. I'm on my way. Oh, go run. Man. <laughs> all right. Bye guys. Dunkirk. Adios. Jesus. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.